Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, president of Texas Values. Great to be with you on another glorious week in the state of Texas. Boy, is there a lot to talk about. Wow, what a memorable election night, I have to say, and for a variety of reasons. Uh, We're going to get into that the heart of some of the things that happened, particularly at the Texas level, but a lot to talk about nationally. Some of these things are still unraveling. We still don't have some complete election results in some key states. Uh, Arizona, Florida, we'll get into some of that. And then we've got some things coming up next week at the Texas State Board of Education. The final votes on what we're going to teach for the next 10 years is regards to history, social studies, and what we teach about America's founding, a whole lot of important things. But I don't want to waste any time at the beginning of the show because we have for the first time a very exceptional guest on the Texas Values Report. Dinesh D'Souza is going to be our featured guest today. And before I let him say hello, let me tell you a little bit about Dinesh D'Souza. I probably don't have to tell you much. Uh, I'm sure he's a very familiar name, but Dinesh D'Souza has had a prominent career as a writer, a scholar, a public intellectual. He's been an award-winning filmmaker with such movies that one that just came out, Death of a Nation. He is originally from India. He was born there, came to the United States as a college student, Phi, uh, Phi Beta Kappa from Dartmouth, and has been considered one of the Uh, most promising public policymakers in our country. He served in the Reagan White House uh, after his time at Dartmouth and has gone on to do incredible things. He, He was a fellow at Stanford University and he was president of King's College in New York City for a a short time period. And Dinesh, we are so excited to welcome to you for the first time onto the Texas Values Report. Thank you. Great to be on the show. And as you said, it's a very um, important time in our country's history. There's no doubt about that. And one other thing I want to mention that I noticed in your bio is that you and I have something in common. We are both Rotary Scholarship recipients. Uh, Very interesting. That's how I came to the United States uh, in 1978. So I've lived most of my life here, but I had the interesting experience of being born and raised in a, in a different culture. So I, I think I bring a certain, you may say, immigrant perspective on America that's a little different than people who are born in this country. Well, I think that's good to say. And, you know, look, um, my scholarship was to the University of Texas, which I was very proud of. But I would imagine yours had maybe a few more zeros behind it than mine did. But it was enough to at least to get me started at the University of Texas and it's something I've continued to have an association with the Rotary because, like you said, I mean, that, that, that led to you coming over here. To me, it was a very big part of, you know, the doors opening to what I would later go on to do in my career. Dinesh, you and I have rubbed shoulders a few times. You were the keynote speaker at the Hayes County Republican dinner, the Lincoln-Reagan dinner a few years ago. Got to sit next to your lovely wife, Debbie, who she and I have known each other for a little while from her work in Sugarland, Fort Bend County, from the greater Houston area. But many people have seen you on the big screen. They've seen you at big events. And so it was exciting to, to see you up close and personal a few years ago. And it does look like you've been spending a little bit more time here in Texas. Uh, yes, we've actually moved to Texas. I was in California for almost, well, almost 20 years, uh, but that state is being run into the ground. And so uh, Debbie, my wife, is a Texan. She's originally from Venezuela, but she uh, has spent most of her life in Texas. And so we decided to make the move. So we're, we now live in the Houston area, and we, uh, I got my Texas driver's license boy, a few months ago and was able to vote for the first time in Texas uh, this election. 
Well, how exciting. Well, welcome. We love to have more Texans, particularly the ones of your political leaning and faith leaning and values leaning, if you will, to come to Texas from California. I don't know about some of those people that have been coming here trying to really transplant their values that they, you know, they seem to be fleeing from California. And hopefully there will be more of them that will come that share the values that we care about in Texas if that's what they choose to do, because many of them, like you, recognize that oppression. Well, big week, and I'm sure you've spent some time pouring over this and seeing some of this now that you got to vote in the state of Texas in Houston, where Ted Cruz was having his rally. Let's talk a little bit about your first impressions of the elections and then maybe get into some details that you care to share with our audience. Well, I think that the immediate implication is quite simply that uh, legislatively, the Trump agenda is ground to a halt. And that means that Trump won't be able to get any meaningful legislation through in the next two years. Uh, I interpret this as the American people saying we need to have some sort of a legislative check on Trump. And that's how the Democrats won the House. Uh, now, uh, this doesn't mean that Trump is inactive because his majority in the Senate is likely to increase, as you said, by how much is a little unclear. But he's going to have a, a quite secure Senate majority, and that has tremendous implications for the Supreme Court. But it also has implications for other things, confirmation of uh, uh, appointees and so on. Uh, Trump, of course, can continue to march forward on executive orders, and he remains completely in charge of foreign policy. So there's a lot for him to do. And if the Democrats play obstruction, uh, it actually allows Trump to have a, a kind of a fiery issue taking him to 2020 and the House that will be very narrowly lost this time can actually quite easily be won back in the, in the presidential election year. Well, and you and I probably know this more so than others. There has been this trend. I don't know how far it goes back, but with the party that wins the president, the, the two years after that, the midterm elections, there's usually a swing back, if you will, or you know, some type of reaction from the other party. So not a surprise that a lot of Democrats, if you will, came to the polls wanting to get, you know, revenge or I don't want to say revenge. You know, they wanted to kind of send a message in opposition to President Trump and so on by voting in more Democrats. And so and I don't know how, like I said, I don't know how long that trend goes back. But so, so that's not a entirely a surprise, but certainly notable and for something for a lot of people to appreciate that maybe are not used to that and what that means. I mean, I, I think it's safe to say. Or the conclusion is that means Nancy Pelosi will be the Speaker of the House. I think that's actually quite likely, even though there is a murmuring of dissent uh, among some House Democrats who think that she's not uh, the best face of the party going forward. But I think she's got enough of a lock uh, on the House and she's proven to be enough of a sort of fundraising phenomenon uh, that they're going to be reluctant to toss her out of the boat. Um, now, um, I think that uh, in Texas, uh, what's interesting is that there were some uh, losses for the Republicans, and I attribute those to really two factors. One is the sort of Beto phenomenon, which although he lost, uh, he did fire up his own side. Uh, and the other, of course, is the massive infusion of cash, which shows you that money does make a difference in politics. And if the Republicans were traditionally, historically, the party that had the money, uh, but now it seems to be the Democrats who have uh, not just an advantage, but an overwhelming advantage uh, that needs to be neutralized the next time around. And I think it will be. 
Well, look, uh, we're talking with Dinesh D'Souza. You know, Dinesh is considered one of America's most influential conservative thinkers. This is what New York Times says. Uh, if you trust that in the New York Times magazine, the World Affairs Council lists him as one of the nation's 500 leading authorities on international issues. Newsweek cited him as one of the country's most prominent Asian Americans. Look, if you haven't heard Dinesh D'Souza speak before. If you haven't seen some of his movies, I encourage you, his documentaries, I encourage you to do that. And it's likely that you have. I mean, Dinesh, you've been on just about every you know national TV network as far as news and things of that nature. I saw recently, and you know, I was a little reluctant to, to whether or not I was going to make any references of whether or not you were here in Texas and, and where you were living because I saw something that I'm sure your good friend or someone you're familiar with, Tucker Carlson, had an issue at his home recently or a break-in. I saw this story, <clears throat> excuse me, over the past 24, 48 hours. And so you see, even though the, you know, and I don't know what the, the nature of that was, but you see sometimes people that have this visibility that you do and others, that people will target them. I know you're not you got, you know, let those things concern you, but it's just even more reason to appreciate where voices like yours and yourself continue to be willing up and stand up for what's true and right. Well, I we are seeing a kind of escalation of thuggery on the left, and I think that this mirrors the gangsterization of the Democratic Party that we saw under Obama and Hillary. Uh, I see it in small ways. A couple of days ago, I spoke here at America. I'm in D.C. right now. American University here in Washington, D.C., sure enough, you know, protesters screaming, getting up and yelling and screaming during my talk, um, disrupting the event, and then, you know, while walking out, and they were chanting at this time, you know, we believe Dr. Ford. Now, wow, you know, here, here we are, this is after the Kavanaugh hearing, yeah. but this was a disruption tactic. A, a couple of days earlier, I spoke at Michigan State, uh, a guy stands up just as I begin to start speaking and starts shouting the F word nonstop for literally 10 minutes until security escorts them out. So this kind of incivility has sadly now become a routine part of our discourse. Well, your reference to the F word gives me a nice segue. And this is a Christian radio station, so we won't elaborate on what the F word means. But hey, this is what we've seen from Beto O'Rourke. There were a lot of F bombs he was dropping during his candidacy. And a lot of, you know, I don't know what kind of what his persona, you know, what he was trying to communicate to people, but it did catch on. And you made the point that cash has an impact on elections, and he brought a lot of cash to the table. A lot of it was from outside of the state. I think he spent twice as much or raised twice as much as Ted Cruz. You were talking about living in the Houston area. Ted Cruz did spend a lot of time in Houston. Can we go a little bit deeper on some maybe some things that you saw in the dynamics of that? Because, you know, Greg Abbott got 56 percent, but Ted Cruz came nowhere close to that. And I do think that was a surprise. I and mean, I think we all recognize Beto O'Rourke was going to make a dent in the polls. But, man, he made a big dent and he came close to winning. He did. And, and in Texas, that's very surprising. And it's even more surprising that he did it running on a pretty left wing agenda. You know, Texas has had Democrats, of course, who have won in the past. Uh, I remember, of course, Lloyd Benson from the Reagan uh, and Bush era. But, of course, Benson was a little more of a centrist Democrat, and the conventional wisdom is that only someone running to the center uh, can win. I think that actually ended up being true. Uh, Beto, you know, once he started defending taking a knee and this sort of thing, uh, that was a little bit outside the bounds for Texas. And so even $80 million couldn't get him over the top. Uh, but he, you know, he had outspent Ted uh, four to one. And uh, I don't think that was probably true in the Greg Abbott race. Uh, I also think it may be that Ted was a little bit underestimated uh, Beto's appeal. 
and got a little bit late start because we remember for months uh, Republicans were talking about the fact we're seeing these Beto signs everywhere, where the Ted Cruz signs. But once Ted got into it, I think he ran a strong campaign um, and uh, he um, he was able to uh, to outrun Beto despite Beto's massive financial advantage. No, that's I think that's right on. I mean, I think that's a lot of what we saw. And, you know, a lot of times you've seen candidates say, well, the signs don't win elections. I think this time around was the exception to some degree. I mean, you didn't see a lot of Abbott signs, but, you know, the dynamics were different because like you you pointed out, the his opponent, Lupe Valdez, didn't raise a lot of money. She didn't spend a lot of money, so you hardly saw her. But you got to be prepared to meet that when you do see the, the dynamics change. So the Ted Cruz campaign, once they took notice of all that, went into action. And I will say worked extremely hard um, with a short amount of time, it appeared, to get things moving in the right direction. And so I think a lot of people grateful, you know, I certainly am as someone that is a faith and family supporter like Ted Cruz is. And you're right. People don't know the difference in the de- in the policy positions. They surely didn't seem to focus on that. We did a side by side of Beto O'Rourke and Cruz on issues of religious liberty, on issues of marriage, bathroom privacy, pro-life. I mean, Beto O'Rourke supported partial birth abortion. There are a lot of Democrats that don't support that. And so we focused on that, and that got a lot of attention. But, you know, I walked some neighborhoods, Dinesh, in the northwest part of Austin on these issues and talked to people, many people that said, oh, I'm voting for Greg Abbott. Oh, but I'm not voting for Ted Cruz. I'm, I'm voting for O'Rourke. And they were like, Greg Abbott's so great. And I'm thinking their policy positions are almost identical. Ted Cruz Cruz and Greg Abbott. So how you get there. But a lot of that has to do with personality. Well, before we lose you, let's talk about a few other things. One, we, you know, look, a few elections haven't wrapped up yet, but you touched on some of those dynamics about what's next for America. You know, a couple things on the table. And, and look, I pray and I hope that Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, heals and she's going to be OK. But look, there could be a seat opening up and we've got who's going to be the next U.N. ambassador. I know you're very prominent when it comes to world and international issues. We have Michelle Bachman speaking at our gala uh, for Texas Values on November 17th up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. There's a few people chattering that she might be interested. Well, certainly she would be uh, She would be pretty awesome. Uh, you know, one final thought on the Ted Cruz business. I think that Ted had, had an issue that, that um, Abbott did not have, and that was the, the fissure, the rupture with Trump that had occurred during the campaign. And so within Texas, you sort of had the Trumpsters and you had the Cruz Republicans and they were not on very friendly terms. And it was only at the very, very end when Trump did the rally for Cruz that some of that was healed. And so it was, I think Cruz's biggest problem, in a sense, was not even Beto. Uh, it was the fact that the Republican Party in Texas had been divided. Um, uh, and, and that goes back to the 2016 election. Uh, now, uh, yes, you're right. I think going forward, uh, you know, if you ask Republicans today, would you trade the House? for a reasonably good shot at increasing our Supreme Court majority from 5-4, which is where it is now, to possibly 6-3, and maybe in Trump's second term, even 7-2. I think that's a trade that most people would happily make. And so that, to me, is the silver lining of the midterm election. No, I think that's a great point. And a lot of times we've got to look at that. You know, we, we have to look at the bigger picture, look at the long-term picture, 
And the Supreme Court can certainly be a long-term picture. When we look at some of the justices, when it's a life appointment, and many of them stay on as long as they can. So point well taken. I mean, look at the issue of religious liberty, of life, uh, border security, so many issues that the Supreme Court is having the last word on, and those things could end up getting flipped if we've got a 6-3 or 7-2. And your point is good, too, about Cruz. I mean, look, I'm I'm fifth-generation Texan. I've been in the politics, you know, 10 to 15 years now, and I've seen some of that. I've done some work with Ted Cruz, and, and I've been up to the White House with Trump's folks, and that did come together at the end, Trump and Cruz. But you're right, it still had been um, out there and been simmering. And in our organization, we've gotten emails and phone calls from people that said, I will never vote for Ted Cruz because of what Trump said and vice versa. And so... I think that did get kind of cleaned up and healed at just the right time. Had it been sooner, maybe the election's results might have been a little bit different. But we'll see how that changes things moving forward. And I will say it was one of the first debates where Cruz was asked about that. How can you you know, support the president when he said all these things about your wife and your dad and your family? And he did a really good job, I felt, where he said, look, I could certainly get pulled into all this as it comes personally. But I'm here for the people, and it benefits the people that I represent to have a good relationship with the president. And so hopefully we'll see more of that moving forward. And, and a lot of that, you know, with his position on the judicial uh, Judiciary Committee, that's going to be extremely important. And we'll see what happens on some of these national issues, whether it's U.N. ambassador or other positions that Trump may be filling moving forward. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ted Cruz was, I got tangled into a campaign finance case and the Obama administration went after me. Ted Cruz was instrumental in getting me a presidential pardon. And initially I was very skeptical that he could do it because I thought to myself, wow, you've been you crossing swords with Trump. Uh, but Cruz said to me, he goes, well, you know, we, we actually have a very good working relationship uh, and you deserve a pardon. And I will ask Trump. And he asked Trump and Trump basically said, done. And so this May, I got the call from the White House. Uh, and for this um, uh, campaign finance technicality, which nevertheless uh, put the felony badge on me, uh, Trump, I got the phone call from Trump, and it was all cleared up and cleared out, and so I got my American dream back. Uh, by the way, this is all explained in my movies, Hillary's America, the most recent one called Death of a Nation, which is now both on DVD and in digital streaming. So if you want to know more about all the craziness I'm alluding to, there it is in the movie. Well, and that's something I, uh, um, that never gets forgotten when you have that type of relationship and that type of outcome that directly impacts your life. Real quick, and, and I wanted to spend more time on the book, but so much to unpack politically. I'm, I'm sorry, your latest movie, Death of a Nation. It, tell us if there's a specific website and tell us uh, the latest on how the, the movie did this year so people that haven't seen it can get some information to use so they can check it out moving forward. Yeah, the movie is basically, uh, it examines two issues, racism and fascism. These are the two charges that the left tries to hang on Trump. Uh, I showed that racism and fascism have both, both been deeply Im- embedded in the Democratic Party. Uh, it's a movie that has a historical framework, but it brings you right to the present. Um, the movie, go to deathofanationmovie.com. That's the website. You can watch the trailer. And like I said, now you can get the movie on Amazon or iTunes or any way that you digitally stream a movie. Or, of course, the, the physical DVD is in Walmart and Redbox and everywhere else. Well, and look, these are phenomenal movies. Uh, Obama's America was the num- it is the number two highest political documentary grossing of all time. America, 
Imagine a World Without Her was number six highest political documentary of all time. Um, these movies are fantastic, and I'm excited about the work you're doing. And Dinesh, we're excited that you were able to come on our show today for the first time, the Texas Values Report, and we'll look forward to having you back. Dinesh D'Souza has been our guest today, and we thank him, and God bless you, Dinesh. I really appreciate it, and thank you very much. Hey, and welcome to Texas, and tell Debbie we said hello. All right. Well, what a treat to have Dinesh D'Souza on. I mean, this guy, you heard he was in D.C., this gentleman. I get a little loose in my language sometimes, a little informal. I apologize. He's a distinguished intellectual. He's very smart. Yes, Dinesh is. Uh, And he gives great speeches. I've seen him in person. He's done great work. Um, You know, as people like him, you think about the work that Trump does. You see him around and you wonder, when do these people sleep? They seem to just be tireless and have an incredible work ethic. And so, but, you know, this is... Uh, so much an indication of, of how much people care about America and how much they care about our ideals and how important they are. And so, you know, he's written books. We talked about the documentaries. He's writing all the time. He's being interviewed all the time because people want to hear thoughtful commentary from people who understand and have depth when it comes to the type of issues that we're dealing with. Some of these issues are very simple, but some of them can be a little bit more complex. And you have to have people who know what they're talking about, who've been around these things. You heard us talk about that Dinesh served in the Reagan White House as a policy analyst. That gives you some idea how long he's been around these type of issues in the level of experience that he has in the depth. And so what a treat to have him come on the radio show at such an important time in America, right after one of the most important and historic elections. And uh, I got so wrapped up in making sure that I was doing a good job interviewing someone of the the quality and caliber is a dash. I didn't even give a look to our Facebook video. Hi, Facebook fans. Good to see y'all. Thanks for tuning in. We got about five minutes left of the show today that you can hear audio wise on radio live every week on um, the uh, 1120, the bridge where we tape the radio show where I'm sitting in now. And I was in a radio booth yesterday, point of view radio. And I was talking with Kirby Anderson, who hosts the daily radio show point of view. He's going to be the MC. For our Texas Values Gala, which is on November 17th in the Dallas-Fort Worth area at the Four Seasons at Las Colinas. That's a Saturday evening, Saturday night. We're in the middle of a discount sale, too. We have a three-day flash sale, a 50% sale for the Texas Values Gala. So you don't want to miss that. Okay, the tickets regularly are $150. And look, I'm sorry, it costs a lot of money to do these events. So we, you know, try to do the least we can to make sure we cover our costs and have a little bit over that so we can generate some support for the work that we're doing. I mean, that's the a big part of the goal of this event. So I'm just going to bring this up to the camera here. And Michelle Bachman is going to be our keynote speaker for the Texas Values Gala. A little chatter uh, by some people about... Should she be considered for the next U.N. ambassador? We'll see about all that. Kelly Shackelford is going to be a part of the program as well. One of the most distinguished First Amendment lawyers in the country, a religious liberty icon. Okay, look, let's just be honest. The guy got a bobblehead uh, designed you know, of him earlier this year. Was it last year for an award that he received? And so we have an award that we give out with his name, Kelly Shackelford Award. I mean, you know you've arrived when a ward is named after you, okay? So nonetheless, Kelly Shackelford will be there. Our great friend, Laura Musica, who heads up Sidewalk Counselors, Sidewalk Advocates for Life, 
a pro-life hero and champion who's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. She is going to be a part of our program as well. But the tickets have been reduced to half price. Look, we spent a lot of time holding back some information on our gala to some extent during you know a two weeks or so of the election period because we wanted people to focus on that because that's what matters to us in that short term. But we got we to gotta pay the bills, okay? We've got to raise support. And look, the elections should make it clear to you we have got to have groups like our strong and equipped and ready to go to respond because, I mean, look, you got to put your money where your mouth is. And that's what a lot of liberals did. Whether you liked O'Rourke or not, they put a lot of money where their mouth is. And they put time and effort, and they made that U.S. Senate uh, election very close. Now, look, Ted Cruz certainly is a strong supporter of faith and family, okay? But it's you got to recognize that it, it certainly looked like Beto O'Rourke's people wanted it extremely bad. So the way that you win elections, the way that you get involved and pass new laws and protect faith and family is you got to put your money where your mouth is and you got to put your time in. Okay, that's what we're asking for you to do with Texas Values. Come to our gala, November 17th at the Four Seasons at Las Colinas. Put your money where your mouth is. Okay, I'm just going to be, you know, uh, blunt with you. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm from the east side of Houston. I'm old school. I'm, you know, I come from a blue collar background. You got to get out there and get those fingernails dirty and get to work. Okay, you know, and I went on a little bit of rant after after the election the other day about some of my background. And that's not me trying to brag about who I'm from or where I'm coming from. That's a way for me to demonstrate to you. I know what hard work is. Okay. I know some of the odd jobs I did before I was in high school and in high school to save money to pay my way through the University of Texas. Now you heard me mention on the radio show just a minute ago, I did get one scholarship, but it was just a portion of the amount of cost for one semester. Okay. I worked for the rest of it and had a small loan my last year and paid it off, okay? Um, so I'm just trying to demonstrate to you and, and express to you, I'm not asking you to do anything I wouldn't do myself, okay? I donate to Texas Values. Not only do I work here full-time, I donate every year to our, our work because I give a portion of what I do to give back, okay? And I, and I have invested, I have committed my life, okay, to this effort. All I'm asking you to do is just do a little bit of your part. One way you can do that is coming to our gala on November 17th, or you can make a donation right now to txvalues.org. There's a flash sale. We are a 501c3, a nonprofit organization. So if you buy a ticket to the gala, if you purchase a table, if you do a sponsorship, there is a portion of that that you can use as a tax deduction. But Look, the legislative session's coming up, and it's going to be a dogfight at the Capitol. The Texas House now has 83 members uh, that are Republican and 67 that are Democrat. And that number is actually a lot tighter when you look at how they'll actually vote. We're going to need a lot of help with the Texas Capitol, so we're going to need the resources to put good people in place to do that work. And I've got applicants. We just brought on two new people. Okay, so go to txvalues.org, make a donation, or buy your gala ticket today. It's 50% off until the end of the day at txvalues.org. The gala's on November 17th. State Board of Education meetings are next week. We're going to have updates on that today on Facebook. We need people to sign up to protect our history, social studies, and the Alamo. And we'll talk to you next week on the Texas Values Report.